Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, I'm going to give you a sampler episode, samples of our new SpaceCast feed. I'm going to give you a taste of some of the recent conversations over on the SpaceCast feed to hopefully encourage you to subscribe over there so you don't miss out. We'll start with the most recent space from Chris and I, since, you know, this is that show. Then we'll give you a taste of the most recent Geek Out Weekly space from Matt Navarra and Martin SFP Bryant. You'll also get the big tech news from Emil Protolinsky and a rotating group of his guest hosts. And finally, a delve into different corners of the crypto world with Brady Dale and his lightbulb talks. But as I said, we'll start off with Chris and I. I told you we sort of got right in the middle of the news with our space this week with this conversation. Remember earlier in the week when I told you about Twitter launching that weather-related subscription product called Tomorrow? Well, we spoke to the man launching Tomorrow with Twitter, Eric Holthouse, and he actually set us straight about the reporting surrounding all of that. I actually got a lot of things wrong earlier in the week. Then, Twitter VP Mike Park just happened by the space and stopped in to tell us more about Twitter's product rollouts. Maybe he was up late that night because they were putting the finishing touches on the Twitter Blue rollout that came out the next morning. Anyway, this is the second half of that space. If you want the first half where Chris lays out his theory that messaging might be really big at WWDC this year, and I explain my rant about my Windows laptop lemon, you'll have to check out that episode, the full thing over at SpaceCast. Search your podcast app for it now and subscribe. Yeah, so, so Eric, I just, you know, um, one, congratulations. Um, you know, two, uh, what, I guess, like, the way that we think about this, or the way that we've been talking about this, you know, I, I've been following, you know, Twitter for a very long time. Um, I've, I've been on the platform for a very long time. And I'm very interested in what they're doing to support, you know, both the creator economy and also in terms of where they see themselves going relative to supporting those things with their own, whether it's, you know, proprietary content or building out, you know, review as a competitor to Substack. Um, and one of the things that I found so interesting and relevant about this strategy you know, we were just talking about how it's sort of like, oh, like Stack Overflow, that's a strange, you know, out of left field kind of acquisition. In this case, meteorology and weather actually makes a lot of sense. You know, in terms of Twitter being the place where you go to find out what's happening, right? I mean, you might not necessarily right away go, oh, weather, but it is the place of what's happening now. And what I understand or read about tomorrow is this, you know, new platform, and I think it's at tomorrow on Twitter, Um is that you're bringing together a bunch of meteorologists who typically are answering questions that people might have already, you know, through Twitter, whether it's through DMs or app mentions, um, and you'll be offering kind of you know membership or super follows or something along those lines to folks that are wanting to send you messages and find out, God, you know, like is this snowstorm gonna you know blow up my whole you know maybe now it's more like I don't know like we're we're entering into fire season here in California soon, so you can imagine the state's going to be on fire soon. So if I have a meteorologist, you know, on call via a Twitter blue subscription or super follow, that seems like actually pretty relevant to the platform. So with all that background, I will, I will step back. I'd love to hear, you know, your perspective on this and um, how, how Twitter approached you. Yeah, you've got it exactly, you know, and I think the thing uh, that is about weather is weather is kind of boring until it's the only thing anyone cares about, right? Like it's like (laughs) when when weather makes the news, it, it, it becomes, uh, you know, this is a must have necessity information now. So, and that's where, you know, my DMs overflow 
to the extent where I can't keep up. Like uh, during Hurricane Sandy, and this was 2012, I was working 18 hour days for like 10 days straight uh, just to keep, yep. just to keep up with messages of yep. folks. And I grew my Twitter following from 5,000 to 150,000. And this was 10 years ago, right? Wow. So like 150,000 was a lot, a lot back then. I mean, it still is a lot, but, um, but I think that, um, I think that, uh, the way the partnership evolved for us was, um, I had this kernel of idea of, of saying we need to, um, have a middle ground between the sort of dying TV and print, uh, media industry and, uh, social media, which is kind of like a fire hose of information during these moments. Uh, we need to have sort of this curated local, um, climate and justice forward, um, institution service, you know, mutual aid organization, uh, of, meteorologists and creators and journalists um, to kind of pool resources during those moments. And it just kind of made sense to approach Twitter for this idea um, because this was um, where I've, I kind of wouldn't have what I have today if it wasn't for Twitter. Like I couldn't have done what I've done the last 10 years. If it wasn't for, for Twitter, it just kind of fits weather kind of fits with Twitter. So you're, um, you're, you're saying you approach them? Yeah. Yep. I approached them. And how, how long and, ago? Um, this was three months ago. Um, it was, it was sort of a short thing that happened. Um, I was really intrigued by the review acquisition and I wanted to sort of figure out if there's a way where everything I wanted to do could live all in one place in one ecosystem. And it kind of felt like they were having the tools. And I think even still, I'm a little bit early. Like I mm-hmm. think that the kind of stuff that exists on review right now, that exists in spaces as we've seen tonight, right? <laughs> like, um, um, that, you know, they're also, Twitter is also launching, uh, uh, Twitter communities, which is kind of like a Facebook groups or group chat type thing. Um, and, um, you know, ticketed spaces and super follows and, and tip jars and all that stuff of, of monetizing and growth strategies for get, delivering, um, necessary content in a curated way. That's a little bit more than, uh, you know, uh, 240 characters. Yeah. So let me, um, <clears throat> When I, when I read this, uh, you know, look, this is what Twitter has always been great at, which is it used to be, you know, in 1990, when Gulf War One happened, you ran to your TV and you turned on CNN. Um, the, you know, we still see in movies like when the aliens attack, they, they show those shots of people like standing outside of television stores or some shit and like watching it happen or or, or like (laughs) even even, movies now right right now but well but think about like even um twitter's you know um original like the miracle on the hudson thing like people uh tweeting those pictures of the plane in the hudson right so this makes so much sense to me um and what I'm curious about is I see I see the idea of packaging and putting these things together, um, and 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 you just said that you're trying to figure out the things right away, or you're trying to figure mm. out the things and the various pieces to put together. What I'm curious about is 
coming in right away as a subscription thing and a subscription thing that's $10 a month. Um, is that your decision? Is that Twitter's guidance to you that that's what they want you to do? Like who's, who's trying to figure out where the, 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 um, product market fit is here. Okay. Well, I think that there has been some misreporting, uh, yesterday about this. All, everything is going to be free. Um, the newsletters, uh, will oh, be free. Interesting. Um, the spaces will be free. Uh, uh, occasional ticketed spaces for members. We will have the direct Q and a, um, you know, like we will serve as people's uh, as member paying members. We will serve as their private weather service basically. And that's, that's for the $10 a month. So, um, 90% of what we're, we will do will be free. Our, our goal is to grow, um, large and quickly, um, and to spread, um, that, um, if anything, I feel like I'm more excited about India and Brazil and, mm. and like Ethiopia than the U S because there are places where there is not a functioning weather service at all. And I think that, you know, three, three to five years from now, we could end up being, you know, uh, a curated weather service for the entire world. That's my goal. And Twitter could serve as the backbone for that. But, but I, um, we're not going to get we're not going to get there by charging every single person that that shows up. Right. I, I love that. Chris, let me do yep, one yep. more and then it's sure. all you. It's all you. Um, so what does that mean? Am I following you? Like, so, okay, we, we, we misunderstood the, the, the subscription thing, but like functionally, if I like this idea, I want to get my weather from you. What am I doing? Am I following your account? Am I, is, am I, where, where, where do I go to make this happen? Sure. We have, um, we have under review, we have, uh, newsletters for each city that we're operating in right now. We have a meteorologist that will be working, developing, um, a daily, uh, written forecast. That's, um, you know, a hundred words that's delivered to your inbox every evening. That will be sort of like the, the, um, the real human behind the, uh, the service. Um, and we're, we're hoping that that will be, compelling enough on its own because, um, I think a lot of people want a little bit more than what you can get on your weather app, which is just kind of like temperature and uh, graphic percent chance of rain. But it's nice to know the content behind or the context behind that, as well as having some, um, some, uh, climate reporting along with it. So that's just like having daily weather as a news story and as a newsletter is a proven concept. I think the Washington Post Capital Weather Gang is consistently among the top read posts on the Washington Post every single day. And they they write about weather. And, you know, that's behind their $10 a month paywall. So we'll be doing that for free. Um, and then, and then um, you know, if you're a paid subscriber to those, newsletters then that's how you access the um the ticketed spaces and the private q a have you so if you go to if you go to tmrw.is um that's our sign up page yeah i was gonna say i've also pinned a tweet so if people want to like take a look at it yeah you can get there yeah yeah, you can get there to at if you go to at tomorrow well there's there's a link to sign up to to those cities and we're in 16 cities right now 
So uh, one of the questions I guess that I have about this, um, you know, is, is about, I guess, uh, maybe like the, the nature of the relationship and, and whether or not to look at the way in which Substack has been sponsoring a number of, you know, writers to join their platform and to do what they do kind of, you know, there, uh, versus, I guess I don't understand if you were acquired, aqua hired, or what the nature of the relationship is between Twitter and tomorrow, um, and whether or not you're then doing like product development and helping to flesh that out, or if it's more on the content side. Sure. Yeah. Um, they are helping customize some backend stuff on, for us, uh, at review, uh, some design, um, and some functionality in the, uh, multiple city signups and, in, in like negotiating the whole, um, con- um, uh, multiple newsletters, getting them to work together. Um, and they, um, but I, this is a completely independent business. I started an LLC earlier this year and this is, you know, I'm a single employee and I'm hiring every, all the meteorologists as contractors right now. I got it. So they're, they're hosting me. Um, and I, I think that the main, I can't speak for Twitter, but, um, I know that main, um, reason that they were excited to partner with us on this is kind of like a proof of technology. Like if, if these folks can do it, then it will show that the potential of all of these, um, product creator services working together. Right. And that's, that's kind of exactly where I started from, right? Because, you know, one, weather is yep. universal. Literally, if you have nothing to talk about, you will talk yep. about the weather. So great place to start. Right. Second, it is something that is uniquely uh, of, of interest and value to a local audience. And again, I encourage folks to go check out tmrw.is to see the different cities that you can sign up for and get those, you know, alerts. And then it also, I think, does an interesting or provides an, uh, an interesting opportunity for the review team to be building out specific functionality that goes beyond perhaps where review has been in the past in terms of what creators need to, you know, both power businesses and also provide value behind a paywall or things like that uh, for, uh, I mean, I, I guess like the other piece that that's really valuable about what you're doing is from the community's perspective, which of course, Twitter hasn't launched communities, but it's announced them. And we've seen some evidence of those um, for people who are in groups in different parts of the world, then people might come together and it's, you know, it's, Actually, I'm, I'm curious to, th- to hear what you think about this. There's um, a number of different organizing structures within the Twitter super straight. And I would identify those as, you know, being, of course, you know, hashtags being one, topics being another, communities being another. Um, and then, of course, there's maybe like the newsletters where you can follow a person or you can follow a brand. Um, what do you see as maybe being the most relevant way to organize, especially those audience that you talked about um, all over the world who, let's say, don't have that weather service and would be wanting to, you know, get the benefits of tomorrow? Is it that they just, you know, follow the tomorrow account? Is it that they, you know, join a community for their specific locality? I know you can't like speak to, you know, Twitter functionality in the future, but what would be your ideal? Well, I mean, I really think that the drop in audio, um, Ah, is, is, is kind of a, um, you know, when I'm thinking of how weather works in Ethiopia, I keep coming back to Ethiopia because I worked there for five years, um, on a climate change project, but I know what it's like to be out in, uh, the communities there. 
almost everyone there has a phone uh, and many of them are smartphones and they um, are really interested in um, radio uh, because they don't really have the TV services. So I think the audio component of, of, yep, totally. uh, Makes sense. of this could really be universal and you, you could, you know, there's no need for translators. Um, you can just have someone speaking in um, whatever language is there. Um, and we can, we can um, kind of meet the moment. And that really fits with sort of uh, how, weather, how, weather, how weather emergencies have always been, you know, for the last hundred years, we've been fi- pr- primarily focused on radio. So that's kind of a radio analog there. But I think newsletters also is, is kind of the way that I've seen, you know, in the last year or two with Substack, I think that um, there will be a lot of um, meteorologists that will switch from, from TV to newsletters if the, uh, if local TV ends up continuing to buy. Or, or if so, you're successful um, in hiring these folks, right? Yeah. No, and this was the conversation that I um, have had with a couple of funders in the last week or two. Yeah, do you get to be like a weather VC? Can you go like, you know, sorry, continue. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Uh, (laughs) um, The conversation was was like, what's the average salary of a TV meteorologist? Um, And what do you need to offer them to get them to work for you instead of work for the TV station? So if we could replace TV weather, which, you know, if you drive around uh, and almost everyone has this universal experience, like you remember the name of the the TV weather man from the town that you grew up in and like their names are and faces are on the billboards and they tease the weather in between the breaks because they know that that's the only reason people turn on the local news is to get the weather forecast. Weather is the number three, um, at least a few years ago whether it was the number three mobile activity, but behind search and social media. So, uh, and email. So maybe no, number four, but you know, within the top five people check the weather on their phones. Like it is a, it is a primary activity of the internet is to check the weather. So if we can find a way to, to kind of create an ecosystem around that and give uh, meteorologists tools to reach people um, in lots of different ways that aren't currently possible, then I feel like it's a win. Um, not only as a business model, but in this moment of climate emergency, it's a, it's a need. Do, do you foresee that what you, the, the stat you just cited, do you foresee that the weather will become even more important as a result of climate change? Oh, oh for sure. I think it already has been. I think starting yeah, with totally. Andy, I mean, when, when Sandy hit New York City, um, I think that was a moment that really, you know, this is the media capital of the world. And, and a lot of people's eyes were like when the subways flooded and then lower Manhattan went dark. And it's like, this is happening here. It's not a future thing. It's not a developing country thing. It's happening here in New York City. Uh, so, and the same thing last year with the fires in California, like when the sky over San Francisco goes pitch black, dark in the middle of the day, like that's not something that should happen. <laughs> like your inner animal instinct to start to kick in is like, what the hell is happening? What, where should I go? What should I do? And there are only like, there are only a few thousand meteorologists in the world, you know, right now. Like, I think that in those moments, meteorology becomes extremely valuable. So the, like the goal for me is... 
<laughs> yeah, the goal for me is to build the infrastructure for those moments, which is like trust and community and, um, you know, familiarity and um, kind of like courage of the meteorologist to kind of say what needs to be said in those moments. So I was going to ask about audience. that, actually, you know, from a, from a trust perspective. Um, and by the way, um, uh, Mike Park, who who actually heads up, I guess, Longform um, at Twitter, yep. um, he's yep. also here and he's been invited up um, and happy to have him here. I do yep. want to remind everyone that this is being recorded. It's going to be released as a space cast um, tomorrow, so just so that we have that context. But I, I, I was interested in, in the trust part because there is an interesting angle where we haven't really talked too much, I think, you know, culturally about myths or disinformation around weather and around the consequences of that. What you're doing, and I was, you know, half joking if you're creating the Weather Avengers, but like being out in front of this and giving people trustworthy information about how to respond, right? Because if someone tells you, oh no, it's okay, you can stay, and there's this like hurricane coming, you know, and, and you don't leave, and then you run out of food or water, or, you know, your house gets flooded, or, you know, you end up on the, you know, roof because you can't uh, escape. Like these are real life and death, you know, decisions. So to what degree, yeah. you know, I guess I'm, I'm asking both about your personal, given your own experience, um, in, in terms of being that trusted voice and, and, and also Twitter's role in, you know, kind of delegating deputies of information veracity, you know, given like their verified program. And, and I don't want to, you know, like dive too much into that, but given what we've seen in terms of the impact of misinformation in, in social media, especially around the coronavirus, I got to imagine that weather misinformation is a whole class of, of stuff that we haven't even really started to think too much about. Oh, it really is. I mean, the last, 20 years we've been fighting climate denial um, and that has really been a material setback, not only for this profession well, of meteorology, I mean, like, but that's like for the original world. disinformation, right? For the world. Climate change right? is not real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this started 70 years ago in the oil industry where they were literally funding PR folks to uh, prom- prom- uh, develop and promote disinformation so that they could keep their business model. And it, and it has worked for 70 years. Right. So like if you have enough money, you can fund the, you can change the truth, which, um, which is not, um, you know, well, like I'm hiring folks that are explicitly willing to talk about climate change and the connection with, um, with the weather. Um, I feel like that's where we are as a world, like we're ready to have that conversation and, there's some social science um, that says that in the days um, during and immediately after a major weather event, that's when folks are willing to have the conversation about climate and policy and where do we go from here and how do we restructure society so that we can have a more safer world. Um, so that's really where we're um, in terms of, you know, in the like people, and this is the thing, it's like, you know, science is true whether or not you believe it. So, um, so, but it's different levels of truth for different people. So, you know, the same, same heat wave can hit different neighborhoods, um, you know, neighborhoods that were redlined or, um, um, you know, there, there are like racist aspects of society that manifest onto the weather. So a hundred degree heat wave, you need to be paying attention to folks who are most vulnerable and directing your message to them to keep them safe. And that goes with who you choose as a communicator. Who do you have? Who, how do you foster those conversations before the weather event happens so that they know um, what they need to do to stay safe? That's are you planning, 
are you planning to expand or what, what's the expansion plan beyond the 16 U S cities? And is it U S only for now? Sure. It's not U S only right now. We have uh, someone in uh, the Dominican Republic. Um, okay. Uh, who is kind of like the Al Roker of Latin America, which is cool. Um, <laughs> and we have, um, yeah, expansion plans for India and Brazil in um in europe um places where that have a high twitter penetration rate you know i'm going to start with places where where they're already using twitter already familiar with it and um where there is a, a meteorology infrastructure that we don't have to like train our own meteorologists but i imagine eventually we'll get to the point where we will you know maybe one day we'll be like substack and like funding uh, meteorology degrees for people to, to be trained and, and go out there and and learn what needs to happen. But I'm also really, really interested in reimagining this idea of expertise and having community. Like I, I, I told, um, I told folks as I was hiring um, to kind of use weather as a writing prompt rather than a literal um, description of what the weather is going to be like. I would love to have like, like we hired a person, a woman in, in San Francisco who uh, is a poet and is going to be kind of talking about what it, what the weather means for her community, not just what the weather is. Yeah. So like anyone can get the 72 and sunny, so we can put that on the top of the page. But if we say like, what does it mean to be in the East Bay today with this straight streak of heat wave and, you know, like try to provide resources for folks. Um, you know, I think that's a little bit more important than just getting the temperature and hmm. rainfall. So uh, I, I want to, pop in here real quick. I did pin a tweet um, to a really, really excellent podcast called Drilled, uh, which goes into the history of mis- and disinformation from specifically the oil industry and how so much of the advertising uh, methodologies that were started in the 30s um, have really persisted into the modern day. So highly recommended yeah, we'll have, listening. We'll, we will have Amy Westervelt, who does Drilled, um, on oh, our nice. first week next week. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up Mike though, real quick here, because I think, you know, Mike maybe can help put some of the strategy into broader context. Um, you know, certainly <laughs> Twitter obviously has been known for its brevity um, and perhaps, you know, for poetics. I would love to, to, to hear sort of a sense for whether or if, you know, whether is the first, you know, if you will, lightning rod for where this all comes together and it starts to, you know, produce um, you know, whether it's different, you know, feature directions or, or, or product development, um, or what just like the overall kind of like thinking and strategy is, whether this is, you know, one of many or one that's going to be sort of, you know, dug into for a little while and developed and then to see how the learnings maybe can lateralize into other verticals or other domains. Mike. Sure. Hey, Chris. Hey. Um, Thanks also for the disclaimer for the space cast. It's kind of like the disclaimer when it's like, can I record your screen? <laughs> exactly. Is, is that cool? <laughs> um, so we, we have to do that now. Thank you. Um, I, I first want to say this was total serendipity. I was just popping open Twitter. This was Perfect. not planned. And I saw Eric and you chatting. <laughs> I was so. like, oh, is this like his boss? Like, oh, oh no, did I get him in trouble? <laughs> it's like, hey, everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, so well, first I wanted to say like uh, – um, the, to the trust factor you were talking about before, before we talk about long form things yeah, is yeah. Eric, um, you know, made his claim to fame was like saving lives in Sandy using Twitter, which I think I'm not yeah, sure if everybody knows huge. that, oh, like yeah. he was literally 
calling the storm for New York City days ahead. And I, what I love about tomorrow is, um, you know, it's a network of people who are going to do similar things. And Actually, can I just like, it's, I want to add yeah. a little anecdote there, because I think this is really important for people to understand both about the nature of Twitter and also how its job to be done has been there from the beginning. And it just, you know, give me like two minutes, but in the in the origin story for the hashtag, the reason why the hashtag became powerful and useful was because I had a friend, Nate Ritter, who is down in San Diego um, during the wildfires that were happening back in 2007. This was in October. So I, I, I wrote up and came up with the idea for the hashtag in August, published it. Twitter said it was stupid. I was like, fine. And then Nate had, you know, basically like this horrible situation going on down there. And the essentially the system that was there to give people the information for how and when to evacuate wasn't working. And so he realized that he could use SMS to broadcast messages to his friends and family who were in San Diego about what was going on because he had access to the television and to the radio and things like that. So all the way back in 2007, we were using Twitter for this purpose. So it's just great to hear kind of like over time how we've continued to come back to that original and core use case. Continue. And now it's a daily newsletter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, no, I think, I think what the frame sort of what we're doing here is, um, what tomorrow's using is this publisher tier of review where basically multiple writers can band together and create a brand and send out those issues as often as they like. There's a incentive model, paid subscription model. Um, you know, any paid money comes into tomorrow and he distributes it to the, to the writers. And um, I think it's sort of a fun future to play with where, you know, large, large media organizations kind of squint and look at newsletters like they have newsletters today, but they're not using them in a way to deliver value directly to readers. And what we hope to see is more tomorrows out there. I don't think it's definitely not just weather. It's, um, it's, tomorrow, it's every topic that's popular on, on Twitter. <laughs> you know, three people can come together, create a, a writer band, mm. create a newsletter, and immediately start driving revenue, or not, just make it free. I mean, honestly, that's what, that's what we're doing with Spacecasts. So I was going to say, yeah. that reminds me of a little uh, podcast uh, collective. Um, this is Brian, uh, uh, Mike, jumping in here real quick. Um, one of the things that I've always been fascinated with even you know the earliest days of Substack and things like that, like is 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 the local space, the local angle to this, and you know we're always decrying the death of local journalism, local media. So I'm curious to what degree, and, and this is also for Eric too, to what degree your thinking about this is. No, we're serving a need within a fucking zip code or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like this is, this is what we're, we can rush into this sort of uh, vacuum and, and provide a service that is, is, is going away for a lot of people. Yeah. I'll, I'll let Eric opine on that. Um, just briefly from our side, local location has always been an opportunity for Twitter. Um, you know, you can follow a city now as a topic, but when you do, I think we still have a lot more signal that to give noisy. you. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a hard problem to solve, right? There's so many tweets about a particular location. Or do you do that based on geocode, or do tweets. you do it based on like words for for topic classification? Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's there's a whole there's a whole system behind it, but generally, okay. a majority of tweets are annotated based on keywords and okay. based on uh, you know the, what those types of accounts. And I would love tweet for about. to have like the snap map. 
that would be just be like super rad. But anyways, yeah. Okay, continue. Good, a good uh, a good API implementation right there. Yeah. Um, but Eric, maybe maybe you can talk a little bit more about the local strategy. Yeah, I mean, weather is always local. So that was for me. It was more of just like a natural way to break down the workload. Um, and I think that you know we going back to trust, you know, like if there's someone, there's a, if there's a voice that you've been following specifically, and this is where kind of like the Substack model comes in, like people are subscribing to voices and are subscribing to individual creators rather than subscribing to the Washington post. So, I mean, there, like you can also subscribe to the Washington post, but I also, you know, I want, I want voices that I trust. So and that works with weather really well. Um, where we have, you know, weather writers that are going to be, you know, living there in the community with the readers that read them. Uh, but when, when the time gets, um, you know, critical or dire, we can amplify those voices around the world. You know, we can, I can, I can push, um, what the writer in Houston is doing out to the entire network, um, if I want to. Uh, um, or in the reverse, we can use um, meteorologists from places where the storm is not hitting to help support the folks in Houston um, while that storm, you know, to answer reader questions, to um, to run the space, to run the um, the conversation in the Twitter community, you know, to, to, to do the kind of nuts and bolts work that needs to be done so that the person who has been the trusted voice can remain at front and center and kind of focus on the storm and focus on getting the word out or like contextualizing the event. So I want to ask one more, I guess, sort of, you know, question in this, in this, uh, realm um specifically in, in this you know i think eric you were here for the beginning of this conversation mike i don't think you were but specifically around some of facebook's announcements today around their messenger unification and around businesses and brands being able to get in touch directly with people and that's kind of what you're talking about here or at least one of the the value props is having kind of i mean it's not exactly having a meteorologist on speed dial but you know a speed dm perhaps and one of the things that i'm just very very disappointed with and frustrated with on the twitter side and this is not meant to be sort of you know a rant against Twitter. But in terms of a missed opportunity, you know, DMs, group DMs, all that functionality feels like it's just, you know, stuck in the dark ages relative to where some of your competitors are. And so my question, I guess, you know, Eric, from your perspective is, given, you know, that you were spending, you know, 16 hour days trying to DM people, um, what, what is your thought on what could happen to evolve Twitter's own, whether it's automated messaging or just kind of that tooling, because newsletters is one way to do broadcast, but the DM piece feels so valuable and so important and just, it's just not there yet. Yeah. I pay attention to DMs in the way that I never pay attention to email. Like I am just living on Twitter during those events. And, and I think that, you know, I've been approached by no fewer than two uh, startups, uh, that are trying to get me to demo, you know, DM plus like whatever DM add on that they've come up with, um, to say like here we've, we fixed Twitter DMS cause they weren't fixing it, you know, like they've yeah. neglected it. Right. And so w- w- that's a missed opportunity. Here's a way to reach the people who follow you in, uh, very smart ways. Um, and, and, um, 
you know, this is a built-in audience. These are your super fans. Um, and, and right now there's no, like, there's not even a reliable way to search your DMS right now. So I, I agree, but it's preach, preach, yeah. preach. <laughs> I don't know if Mike has anything to say to offer. In the only thing I'm, I could say is it's understood and appreciated and we are working on it. <laughs> Great. Um, you know, we, I, I hope folks have felt the pace of feature building, Oh, for sure, up. just not in DMs. DM is, so DM DMs, is one of those things. You know? Everyone knows. Everyone okay. knows. This. <laughs> I'm sure it's yep. like a well-known. I just like. I wish there as much you know hustle there as there's been on you know spaces and tipping and all that. So I'll just leave it at that. I understand. You guys understand. Uh, Mike, oh, is, are we making requests? Can I? Can I <laughs> <laughs> Eric, have you used review? I just I'm just gonna throw that out there. Have you have you used it? And then Mike can fix it for us. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. No, I, I think. I think review is awesome. Um, and, um, review is kind of what I wanted. Um, when, um, cause I also have a sub stack and I'm going to maintain the sub stack. Um, and you have the prime, like my primary personal climate writing on the sub stack because I feel like that, um, works for an individual in the way that review works for groups. Um, mm, interesting. So, um, so I think that, um, at least for me, um, having, having, uh, review and having, um, the ability to kind of like collectively brand, um, and also, um, um, you know, the, the team at review has been amazing to work with in, in sort of like, um, co-build um some of the stuff with you know like talking back and forth a little bit about what i'm the bugs that i'm finding the feature requests that i have and trying to see um you know using me as the test case for what a big publisher might want um so yeah it's been it's been a really good experience and i'll chime in to say that a lot of what eric is doing he is uh very early, I think, in leveraging a lot of the things we want to build around review. So, for example, um, a simple card or button on your profile page to help drive new subscribers. These, there's some really basic low-hanging fruit things that we're going to be doing. And also, you know, I think as a writer, you put so much effort into an issue or publishing, you should have a notification for that. So your followers should be notified when a new issue is available, right? Um, mm-hmm. We have notification for tweets, but a newsletter, an article, a thread, these these longer things that you put more effort in deserve better discovery surface areas. Yeah, 100%. That's, totally. So I have both a Substack newsletter and a review newsletter, and the reason I wanted to diversify uh, for my personal one is because I wanted. I was hoping that, you know, because Twitter acquired review, there would be some synergies there just i just haven't seen them yet so i'm really excited once those start trickling in the synergy will come <laughs> real, real quick mike, i hate myself for using that word real quick mike uh you're you're suggesting and to that end you're suggesting that like there's there's so many things to come the if you're on the product team at twitter right now um is it is it a thousand flowers blooming? Let's try all the things or do you, well, you, you wouldn't be able to answer this. Like, are, are you rowing in a specific direction or are you trying to, are you, are you throwing things against the wall and see what sticks right now? Yeah, I think so backing way up, we had a three-year plan that we are about halfway through 
And those objectives haven't changed. It's around interests, it's around conversation and health and making Twitter easier to use, like around the world, just making it more performant. And then there are areas, which I'll say like long form is one, which is Greenfield. It's something, frankly, that we probably should have done years ago, which is like make it easier to read articles, uh, make threads easier to create and read, um, elevate things like newsletters throughout the platform. So in, in those types of buckets, we want to move quickly. You don't want to overthink things. We want to try it. We want to move quickly. So you've got sort of longer-term investments, and then you've got areas that where we're trying to be a little bit more nimble and, and move faster. You know, it's just like, I know this is going to be like a crazy, stupid idea, but like in some ways it just sort of seems like just in the way that Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp are kind of like all one thing now, it's sort of like Twitter needs to reabsorb medium and just bring these things together. Cause honestly, I can't tell which one I should be publishing on. And they kind of have similar overlapping features at this point and they're kind of owned by the same people. So it's just kind of like, <laughs> like given what you just said, it just, that would almost like make more sense, but just come together. <laughs> I mean, medium, the experience of writing in medium is, is a lot better than the experience in writing and review. And it's kind of like review has to reinvent that. And it would save a lot for sure. If only that were the way it was. Um, all right, guys, we've been going for an hour and a half. This is really great. Uh, despite, you know, my, my getting stuck into a black hole someplace. Um, I guess I'll, I'll offer um, Eric and Mike any last parting thoughts um, before we wrap today. Um, I would just say, yeah, thanks for having um, this conversation. And it's really um, exciting for me as kind of like a super user of Twitter to like <laughs> to be um, out there and and um, trying to be, you know, like I just turned 40 this year. Like I'm mid career now. I have to realize that I don't, I don't have to pull 18 hour days anymore. Like I have, I can, I can change the the system that I've been working in this entire time. So that's kind of what I'm doing, like to see the weather ecosystem and the Twitter ecosystem as it exists right now and kind of imagine what I would want it to be ideally, um, and then go out there and do it. Like, that's really kind of what I'm trying to be. And I'm just grateful for Twitter, uh, Twitter's help so far. The only thing I'll add is I always wanted to be a meteorologist. I couldn't hack the calculus. <laughs> I'm a secret weather nerd. Jess wow. is on here. She knows that she is too. So I'm stoked to be partnering with Eric. Um, and also just, just happy you all uh, had me on here for a second and are interested in what we're up to. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also glad that we got to like talk about a whole different angle of the Twitter story, uh, which I think has not only been, I don't know if it's been undercovered, but um, it's a different nature of this conversation, which I think is great as opposed to just sort of being broad based about the creator economy in general. It's sort of like, let's talk about how this actually meets, you know, a need that people have. So I'm super excited. Yeah. About that. Um, awesome. All right. Like, uh, like we said uh, at the beginning, this is going to be put out in the new brand new space cast. Uh, podcast. Um, we were on Product Hunt yesterday. We did pretty well. If you guys want to go check it out and offer some support, that would be lovely. We also have a very nice short link if you want to subscribe to the podcast at pod.link slash spacecasts. So super simple, super easy. Um, that's where you can find the whole kind of... Or just um, search wherever you're listening wherever right you're, now. Your fine <laughs> podcasts are pervade. But if, you know. you, if you're listening after the date, uh, search for spacecasts. Yeah, anyone listening to this, it'll be live tomorrow morning. And I also want to point out 
that uh, Emil uh, is one of our uh, SpaceCast uh, contributors to this collective. He does the big tech news. If you search SpaceCast right now, you'll hear um, his first contribution to the collective talking about Amazon acquiring MGM, Facebook suing India, a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm Facebook sure he'll have suing another. India? Oh, I'm sorry. Amazon. Uh, uh, yes. Wait. You Facebook can sue a country? What? You know what? Uh, so that was last week. Yes. Okay, that was last week. A lot's happened. Okay, so just go go, go find that episode. Now I've got to go. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Got it. Anyway, so yes, uh, SpaceCast, great. Uh, we love all of our contributors. Join us if you are doing Twitter Spaces and contribute as well. Uh, thank you, Chris. Awesome. All right, thanks, guys. We'll be back here probably next week. Thanks, y'all. Bye. I like it, the crickets. Bye. <laughs> Okay, next up, Matt Navarra is a well-known social media consultant, and Martin SFP Bryant does comms and strategy for startups. And every week, the pair have a Twitter space that they call Geek Out Weekly, where they talk about the latest news in the social media world. Once again, I'm just going to give you a sampling of the show, the second half of their most recent episode. This week, they talked about Twitter Blue being sort of a work in progress. And what does TikTok want with Americans' biometric data? A story that I didn't even get to cover this week, but I'm super interested in. So here's a taste, but be sure to head over to SpaceCast to hear the whole thing and subscribe to hear more of Geek Out Weekly every week. Let's have a quick look at some of the other bits and pieces that were in the newsletter and happening in news this week. Um, so Facebook had um, its uh, F8 uh, developer kind of conference uh, called Refresh this year, F8 Refresh. Um, and it was really kind of less of a big affair than maybe in previous ones, but this was probably just like a smaller one uh, for some uh, in sort of key updates. And the main things was, one of them was the Messenger API, which we talked about earlier, which has now been in beta, but it's now open to all developers. So third-party platforms, Hootsuite and the others, as we say, can now build mess- Instagram messaging into the kind of tools it gives social media managers and others. But there's also some um, stuff to in- integrate um, Instagram into other thing- other workflows. There's some new AR features being opened up through its Spark AR program and, uh, and a-, a few other bits and pieces to do with WhatsApp for business as well to kind of improve the kind of uh, connect- ability to build your presence as a business on WhatsApp. So lots of uh, lots of dev stuff, not so much directly, you know, first-hand consumer bits and pieces at this stage. Um, but there's been some news as in the last couple of hours about Facebook. So there's been another case put against them in Europe, hasn't there? Yeah, so actually um, the EU and UK are both opening um, uh, very an- uh, US word antitrust, uh, we probably call them competition uh, uh, inquiries into uh, Facebook um, and uh, the Wall Street Journal reporting that it's uh, into uh, the classified ad service marketplace and uh, Facebook's use of advertiser data. Uh, so uh, so yeah, we'll have to see how this, uh, this will go, but it's just interesting that uh, both UK and EU investigations, um, both coming through on the same day uh, and uh, yeah it, it feels a bit like that day a couple of weeks ago where both Amazon and Apple both announced um, lossless music um, offerings uh, for free on the same day uh, it's like uh, you know everyone's uh, now competing to, uh, to to investigate Facebook uh, but uh, yeah uh, we'll have to see how this uh, it's only the start of the investigation so uh, we'll have to see how it how it unfolds but uh, more yet more uh, headaches for uh, um, Mark Zuckerberg and his team to uh, wrap their head around 
and uh, again, talking of talking of Mark and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, um, to the people who um, are into all like new features and find you know what the latest platforms updates are, which is me and a few other geeks out there. Um, one of the people that just posts this information is a Twitter account and a Telegram group and a whole load of other things by um, WA Beta Info. So if you're on Twitter and you look up WA Beta Info, um, it's an account from a guy that uh, I've known for some time who does all this stuff, but only for WhatsApp updates. And he um, got buzzed this week because I think um, uh, I assume WhatsApp wanted to have a word and sort of say, you know, here's some updates for you because they finally realized that actually these leaker account people are quite a useful way to kind of get things out there when they want to strategically get a message out. So anyway, um, they did a thing with him this week, which is the first time they've done it. And um, he had a, a group chat call with WhatsApp's um, uh, head of uh, CEO, is it CEO. I'm not sure what role they call him, head of, I, I assume. Head of, yeah. Will. And, uh, and then also Mark Zuckerberg dropped into the group chat as well with him. <laughs> so this guy who's just been leaking bits and bobs to doing some similar but different things to what I've been doing for years, suddenly he's in this group chat with Mark Zuckerberg talking away, or at least someone who's saying they are. Um, um, but there's some good updates, actually. They were talking about updates for WhatsApp um, for iPad um, and a disappearing messages feature update. So if you get a chance to have a look at all of that, you'll find some useful. <laughs> so, I love the way you say like, it's someone who's claiming they are, uh, like, because they, uh, yeah. the look of it, it was, it was audio um, messages from uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, was it so audio? I, I like audio. that Mark Zuckerberg was too busy, and so they got a Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> yeah. impersonator. That would be good. No, I <laughs> what I was thinking, I didn't actually know he had voice messages. I was thinking it was more a case of um, he had a message it was just text back and forwards and photos and stuff. It could have just been his PA admin, whoever person, yeah, yeah. but um, I didn't realize it was voice. So in that case, yeah, I don't think it really got to that much trouble. Um, what else have we got here that was going on this week? Uh, there's lots of stuff to do with, you know, there's um, releases about disinformation campaigns. You know, we saw, you know, Russia being accused again of being the main source for a lot of this stuff. Um, but then there was another bit of reporting come out um, that was um, saying, that, you know, the U S again, maybe unsurprisingly is the top target for, 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 for people doing these campaigns of disinformation. So uh, not a lot there that was new, really. Um, what else have we got uh, around here? Let's have a look. Uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of Instagram um, stars, reality TV stars from Geordie Shaw, MTV's program, and um, uh, X on the Beach and all that kind of stuff. They have been posting stuff for kind of loan, get, you know, save yourself thousands of pounds, write off all your debt now kind of adverts, but not labeling them as adverts. So they got uh, a ticking off and uh, the posts were pulled down, but I don't think they've got fined or anything. I'm just going to give it another warning. Um, Birdwatch, have you seen anyone, or do you know anyone who's got Twitter Birdwatch? Because I haven't. So Birdwatch being the fact-checking feature that they're testing in the US for Twitter. No, no. Um, uh, yeah, it was something you actually had to uh, apply for, I think, wasn't it? So uh, yeah. they want people who are actively going to... Um, make notes about tweets and things so they wanted kind of very engaged people to take part in it uh but uh but no i i've not spoken to anyone who's actually used it but uh, uh overall it's quite an interesting idea so what they're doing now aren't they is uh, um, attaching some of these notes uh, that uh, the users of birdwatch have made kind of fact-checking notes and supplementary info about uh, what's what's in in these uh, popular tweets uh, they're actually attaching them to the tweets themselves uh, so i uh, and at the moment only visible to people who are in the birdwatch test so it's a very limited thing but I think that's quite an interesting way of approaching fact-checking. I'm not certain it'll work because the more you open up Birdwatch, the more likely it is that it will be abused by people um, fact 
fact-checking uh, in their own um That would always uh, going to have to be a vetted thing, isn't it? It's never going to be able to be a everybody can add a, a bird watch comment to it because it just wouldn't work. So I'm assuming that there's going to be a continual application vetting thing, a bit like the translation, and you can add, you can add that little globe um, sort of sticker thing to your profile if you, if you say you're a translator of languages and stuff. But either way, um, yeah, I think you're right. It could, be, it could be heavily abused, but I think it seems so obvious that that would be the case that it must be part of the way that they're going to do it so they won't become that way. Um, TikTok um, is not doing, hasn't done itself any favors here in the sense of Americans or, or people in general who have felt that TikTok could be sort of sending its data to China and, and all the sorts of information it might be collecting and then potentially sending to its Chinese bosses. Um, <laughs> there's been an update today on, in the news um, on lots of outlets, but TechCrunch we copied in the newsletter where it's just given itself permission to collect biometric data. Data on US users, including face prints and voice prints. And that's a quote directly from the terms. There, there's a bit more to it than that. But, but yeah, this isn't going to help them at all in terms of people thinking what they're up to now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now it could uh, it could very much be, as it says here. While this might sound creepy, uh, other sub social networks do object uh, do object recognition uh, on images. Uh, so it could very well be to do with AR and things like that. So doing voice effects and uh, face recognition, you know, uh, turning your face into something else, and all that kind of thing uh, could require uh, biometric data. Um, so it's kind of like when people get ups upset in the terms and conditions of social networks where it says, like, you reserve the, the right for us to include your image in advertising. And they go, oh, they're going to use my personal photos on billboards and things. And it's not that at all. Or, you know, we, we want to uh, we'll, we'll have to copy all your data and send it to some far-flung country or something. And that's just the way cloud computing works. And people don't necessarily understand, and lawyers don't necessarily understand how to write these things in ways that make sense to people. Um, so it feels like something that they could have just got around by wording it maybe slightly differently. Um, unless they really are collecting all this stuff to send and do... Maybe uh, they're just a, an evil, evil bad thing. Thought, so. yeah. <laughs> maybe they just really are evil at all, and this is just a, you know, a genius. Just like, <laughs> like, no, they're not going to do that. No, like, there we are. But um, there there is a bit that in, in the TechCrunch article that does point out the fact that the policy also notes that part of the data collection is for enabling special video effects, content mm. moderation, de demographic classification, ad recommendations, content recommendations. So this kind of it does feel like it's a bit of one of those catch-all kind of terms to cover their asses because everyone gets upset when something happens once and then it's like they didn't know that they were allowed to do it. But the, but because of the type of thing it is, you know, it does make you kind of wonder, well, do, do you want to have a catch-all with, with that particular sort of bit of your data? Um, yeah, anyway. Always get, always get comms people involved with any kind of communication that's why i say including the terms of service you want to get some really easy to read plain english terms of service that explain very clearly what things do because otherwise things like this will happen yeah we've heard this one we've heard this story before haven't we somewhere mm. um so what else have we got um that's going on to do with so tiktok yeah, this is quite an interesting longer read there's a couple of versions of it but um there was a story that i spotted about that tiktok was knocked off of the top of the u.s app store chart <laughs> for the first time in you know however many years the last couple of years or 18 months or whatever um and but interestingly more interestingly in the fact that tiktok was finally been dethroned for a bit um was that the app that knocked it off was a really basic 
basic, simple keyboard app. Um, and for a day or so, when I first saw the story, it just said, there's, there's some simple keyboard app. No, no one seems to but care and batter an island. So, well, why is a keyboard app dethroned, dethroned TikTok? Well, the reason, I think it was dug up by, uh, I forgot the, uh, the author name now, but maybe, Martin, you've got it there, but uh, Gizmodo. Uh, Shoshana um, Wodinski. That's right, yeah. And she I looked it up and uh, figured out that actually it was to do with a, a sort of viral trend uh, thing going on on TikTok where people were using it to spam other people in comments with uh, with a very simple copy-paste trick that this app is particularly adept at doing. And so it's quite amusing that that's the feature, the app that is now led to dethroning TikTok because it went viral on TikTok and other places as well. But anyway, <laughs> a very good read if you get a chance to read it. It's the, the story as to how that came to be. Um, what else we got? Uh, some new, yeah. So Clubhouse, they've they've just come out this week and given some details about there's more than two million users on Android, and I think they've just recently said that the invite mechanism that they've got in place should be dropped by the summer. Well, we're in june so i'm guessing that's pretty soon um so for those that are fed up with that that's going to come down i still don't hear many people in the circles that i'm kind of chatting to people in that are using clubhouse there are a certain type of friend or connection i have that do you does use uh, clubhouse but for, for in general terms most people are saying to me they're going in and coming back out again and it's just not you're not sticking with it have you used you know something that well something that actually slipped through the net in terms of actually appearing in the uh newsletter this week but um was news this week was that uh, clubhouse has hired uh the um the person who uh, used to book people for the ted conferences um to uh kind of curate yes. uh, speakers and things for for content for, for clubhouse it was in the tech revolution newsletter actually so if you um uh, subscribe to the other uh, geek out newsletter on wednesdays tech revolution uh, it was in there but but, um, yeah, uh, that's quite interesting and shows the way they're thinking about this as more a maybe a premium destination for you know, big name interviews, uh, perhaps interactive interviews, but big name kind of highbrow stuff. Uh, not highbrow, but, you know, uh, high profile stuff yeah. uh, rather than so much of the kind of uh, user generated stuff. Something we didn't, uh, whilst we're talking about Clubhouse and sort of social audio stuff, um, is um, the news this week about the button. Um, so they've added a new tab on, uh, is it, I think it's just iOS, isn't it, um, for um, Twitter. Um, but it's only for the people that were in this original early um, beta of Spaces are going to get this new tab because it's a, it's a new um, Spaces discovery tab. And I, and I didn't think I was going to get it on my version of the app because I wasn't one of the original beta testers i was kind of maybe the second or third tranche or whatever but i did open it this morning and now i have instead of the four icons which is usually the house the uh, magnifying glass the bell and the uh, envelope you now have one squeeze in the middle which is the symbol for spaces the four circles um so i've had a look at it i'm actually gonna look at it right now where we're here to see sort of what stuff is on there um i'm assuming it's showing me that uh, it can't maybe it doesn't show everything but the, the top item is the one that's got the most people in the space and it's something that's uh, being hosted by Tom Ball 808 on Twitter and it's um, it's uh, it looks like a, some sort of financial thing AMC to the moon or a TV show maybe 365 people in that space and then the next one's 160 oh, um, uh, the AMC stock it's um, it's uh, this, this um, uh, stock price oh, Me- yeah. mean stock stuff yeah um, and then the next one's um, there's one called lovers 162 I don't know who's in that space but there's 162 people enjoying lovers and then the numbers go down <laughs> to 26 41 31 29 8 11 so I, I don't know if that's a snapshot. I would, I'd, I'd like to. Well, it's not everything. Or we'd be in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, 
yeah, but um, excluding that. But anyway, interesting that that's the, <laughs> but the, the more the interesting thing about all of that is though is that the fact that so quickly and so forcefully, you know, Twitter has put that into the app, you know, front and center, staking its mm-hmm. claim. We believe that spaces and audio is going to be a big enough deal that we're going to change a significant way of how you use the app by adding another tab, and we're going to put it front and center. Clubhouse and Facebook will now see their, you know, their commitments and intentions to it. I, I guess they're pretty much going all in on, on audio, then, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, it, it's it's it is clearly their their big priority for this year at Spaces. And uh, yeah, they're going all in on it. And um, I think uh, you with something like this, you have to really push it and push it and make it a big thing, or otherwise it just becomes another one of those kind of forgotten features. So. Um, Will it still be such a big thing in a year's time? Let's see. But um, they, they, all they can do is try, and they're certainly going to try. And uh, so that's good to see. Um, going on to um, further down the newsletter, there's, uh, I've got a section in the DMs. So I get quite a lot of stuff that comes into my inbox, which is sometimes quite interesting gossip or things that kind of can't be attributed to somebody um, or just stuff that's just weird and I just thought you might like to know a bit about it. Um, and this week, the two things that are kind of partly from DMs but also from other stuff um, that I've had, there seems to be te- Instagram testing a replacement for this swipe, swipe up links, but it's hard to tell whether they, it's going to be a either or or you, know, you have one or the other or, or both can be used but at the moment if you want to add a link to a story you have to have ten thousand followers and all be verified or whatever um, and then you can do the usual add the link for swipe up but there has been a link sticker that's been sort of seen in the last few weeks and then it's now been spotted kind of in the wild i saw of all people for those in the uk know chris moyles uh ex-bbc uh, breakfast dj he's got his own shop and he Vlogs gear off it on Instagram, and he was using the, the link sticker. I noticed it because it was a, the sticker was there, showed the link image, and then it said Chris Moyles dot shop or something, and tapped it and you went shop. There was no swipe up, and a friend um, uh, contacted me and said, "Yeah, well, I've got the, um, I haven't got the ability to add swipe up links anymore. I thought I'd lost the ability, but actually, they've just replaced it and given me the um, uh, the link sticker. So I don't know whether that means it's going to testing which one works best or which people prefer. Who knows? I don't think it changes the fact that you still have to have verified all 10,000 plus followers to get the um, link so you know that's the main thing I think a lot of people are more concerned about um, another thing this this for me feels like a bug but someone was a couple of people more than two or three have reported the fact that earlier this week they could upload a video into their story on Instagram and then um, it, instead of it being split into chunks as you'd expect it to over multiple frames of the story it was allowing it to be a, a lengthy chunk of it in one bit of the story like a couple of minutes worth that doesn't sound like a good user experience to me having story sections that could be minutes in length maybe maybe for some it is but um, but she, um, she said she can reproduce it so um, if you have had that experience I'd be interested to know whether you think that's a glitch or a future um, glitch is my, my guess um, what else have we got this week before we in there, just go to scroll down a bit also there was a report I think it was in the drum uh, which did a thing with LinkedIn um, saying about the digital marketing skills that are um, kind of in the last 12 months or so um, in LinkedIn data that shows a massive rise and, and the top, some of the top ones in, uh, in the recent months have been Instagram skills up 72% content marketing up 63% and 
Hootsuite skills up 39%. Okay. And then other ones were Adobe Premiere Pro skills, marketing automation, and Facebook marketing. So if you're in that space, which a lot of people, I guess, in this room probably are, um, then that's pretty good news, isn't it? I would say. Um, uh, not, I think it's not, I think there's also a lot to be said there about the whole fact of creator space opening up in the last six to 12 months more than it's ever done. Forget the pandemic, the, the, the knock on effect of you know, this growth towards the creator economy is probably playing into a, a lot of this where people think, Christ, you know, I can make a bit of money here. I just need to upskill in, in some of these key areas. Um, I'm not going to go through all of the quick hits today. There's loads of stuff in there that was spotted um, over the last seven days, um, all sorts of stuff, to tiny little features that only a handful of people have got and some other things that um, are in test. So if you're into all that stuff, there's a whole long list of them in, in the newsletter. But I'm going to jump right down to the bottom area for the weekend reading because there's loads of bits in there. Um, Martin, what this week has pulled uh, caught your eye? What which bits did you read? Yeah, so this LA Times thing, hashtags have fallen out of style, but not for influencers. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, looking at why um, why influencers are, are using hashtags. Um, I, I, and uh, yeah, so uh, I, I just thought, I thought it was interesting because uh, hashtags are one of those things that I think are so ugly and uh, uh, I try not to use them. And uh, sometimes you feel kind of prompted to and you kind of, kind of almost feel forced to on LinkedIn still. And it's like, I don't like using hashtags. They look, they look ugly, but uh, but they're still a thing, and they're still being used. I still um, see people uh, on Twitter yeah. that put um, write a tweet and then at the end put like seven hashtags, like it's on Instagram, <laughs> and I just feel like I want to grab them and say no, no. I get people who, who ask me to retweet things for them and uh, they've got like every third word is a hashtag and I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, it's, it's not 2008 or whatever. Well, but, Facebook uh, in the last couple of years has you know, got back into hashtags. Uh, so they're, they're, they're big on the hashtag stuff and uh, we should really have invited Chris Messina into the space to talk about mm. it because being that he invented the hashtag. Um, but we did, a, we did an episode, didn't we, talking about it. So on the Geek Out podcast, I think season two, um, we had uh, Chris on talking about hashtags. So if you get a chance to go and search up the podcast um, you'll find that quite fun but the, but yeah there's an article in the la times uh, if you search out la times hashtags or scroll to the bottom of the, the newsletter that's pinned in this space look for the weekend reads you'll find this article there it's really good um there's also uh, tiktok accidentally detected my adhd um which is an article um a, a opinion piece but in the guardian i think um and uh, some of this rang you know rang true to me and also rang bells because I have said many a time I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 27 and I didn't believe a word in the fact that I had ADHD or, or anything. I just thought it was, you know, not a thing for me. And then after doing a lot of testing and going through a lot of sort of processes, I realized actually it was, um, but it, I didn't actively remember con or consciously remember going through TikTok when I first started using TikTok and picking bits that were saying stuff about or, or TikTok videos that were to do with ADHD at, at all. But I remember sort of slowly over time, suddenly, uh, they started appearing more and more. So I, and my hunch would be that maybe I liked one. And then once I watched one, maybe I'd watch one and two and then it kind of flooded it. Now my feed is full of them. But, um, but, <laughs> but I think TikTok actually encourages the ADHD anyway, with the speed that you rat rattle through these um, videos. But um, if you hadn't had a chance to have a look at this particular article, you should, cause it's quite fun. Um, and it's in the guardian TikTok accidentally detected my ADHD. Um, Nick Clegg has done another essay. Thank you to, um, <laughs> to um, Alex at uh, Facebook 
for flagging to me that Nick Clegg has done another essay. Um, it's, it's linked to in the bottom of the, the newsletter. It talks a lot about the kind of internet economy and what the next 20 years for Europe and all that kind of stuff. Um, any other ones that was there? Oh, um, Alex Kantowitz's piece um, that he's done about Twitter's certainty problem. Um, I, get, I don't think I'm going to go into much more detail on that because it's uh, that was what captured my interest in the first place. But it is a really good read um, if you get a chance to search that one out. It's the one, two, three, four, fifth one, is it? They're down in the list, Twitter's certainty problem. Anything else from you, Martin, that we've missed? No, I don't think so. I think uh, and no news um, has broke broken while we've been uh, live, uh, as far as I can see. So uh, nothing to uh, suddenly um, jump in with. Uh, Jack Dorsey has broken news while we've been on um, saying that Square is considering making a hardware wallet for Bitcoin. But that's not social media. That's his other company, Square. I so, just don't uh, get excited so, by Bitcoin stuff. No, I as soon as I, 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 hear, I hear the word cryptocurrency, I glaze over and start bored. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it's interesting. I, I have no time for all the uh, excitement over what the current Bitcoin price is and all that kind of thing. But um, I think that there's lots of potential in, in decentralized tech. And uh, so on that side of things, I think it's quite interesting. And um, certainly uh, what Square is doing around it and uh, the kind of way Jack Dorsey is thinking about decentralized money, but also decentralized social media. Um, and it'll be interesting to see when something comes of that whole project that uh, Twitter kicks off, uh, hopefully sometime soon. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, uh, if you look at um, Jack's uh, uh, Twitter account at um, Jack, of course, uh, he's just published a thread about um, a hard a hardware Bitcoin wallet. Interesting. The top three things that bore me on Twitter right now: number one, NFTs; number two, yes. cryptocurrencies; and then three. As soon as I see the buzzword, the creator economy. As soon as I see those, any of those three <laughs> things, I just kind of spin on by. If it wasn't for the fact that it's good to keep up with all that bits of information for things like this, I would probably put them on, on a mute, which I actually don't use. Before we get, do you actually do you use extensively any of the features for moderation, self-moderation within Twitter, like the, the mute function or, or any of the filters that you can do? Because I just have it show me everything, filter nothing, and then I'll decide if I don't want to see anything, you know, as and yeah, when. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I, 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 I don't mute anything. I've got literally no mutes. Um, I, I don't like the idea of missing out on things. And even if it's something I don't like to hear about, I at least want to see it in my feed. And I know that's quite a quite a privileged thing to say because many people don't want to see things that actually impact their lives in a yeah, negative yeah. way and bring them down and affect their mental health or whatever. And so I totally understand why people use mute um, or there are people they don't want to see in the feed and so they, they, they maybe don't want to block them and create drama so they mute them. Um, you know, I barely block anyone either. I only block spammers and uh, I, I can't think of anyone I've blocked because I, they annoyed me. Uh, at most I'll unfollow them or maybe, you know, I, I might mute them, but like I say, I don't use mute so uh so yeah i just uh, I, but again that's a quite a, a privileged position to be in to not have that many trolls well uh, but uh, yeah to, to, to round up things i'll just have a quick story to do with um, the, a tweet that went out this week i posted that ended up getting the mo one of the, the most attention of any of the other tweets that went out uh, and unsurprisingly it was the one to do with um i think the tweet just reads facebook um uh, is trying out or testing prayer posts and um, for groups or something that's all the text and the tweet says if you have a look um posted and it's you know gone everywhere and then um as i predicted I, i've got you know quite a lot of um, spam dms and most of it i just ignored but then one somehow creeped into my main inbox it wasn't someone i followed i don't, I don't know if they follow me and it just said um bear in mind what i'd said in my tweet the the, the dm was 
what's your effing problem with religion? Why don't you? Why, why are you having such an issue with it, prick? <laughs> in, in, in a TM to me, I was like, the, the, the DM just says that they've got a feature. Where does where has he managed to get the inference from me? He's very good if he has that. I think you know that, that I hate religion or something, which I don't. I don't have really any strong opinion either way on it. But um, but anyway, that's the sort of stuff I get. So never I, tweet. Never tweet about religion. And I replied and said, but I haven't said that. Or I think I said, where did I say that? And then, then they disappeared and they didn't say anything after that. So, you know, it's, it's not it's still not as bad as the time when they stuck my information in an article in InfoWars about me thinking that the, the Home Alone um, scene in Home Alone 2 where Trump is in it. I didn't ever say that they should remove that scene because Trump was in it. I was making a reference that people would be talking about that scene being in Home Alone. Somehow InfoWars and others construed that I, <laughs> I, I was such a snowflake that I, need, I was demanding on Twitter because I'm a diva with a, a blue tick that they removed the scene of trump i had so much abuse there's an instagram story on my instagram account now of highlights the last highlights i did which is just all of the abuse because of that one incident but i find it quite amusing so it's all good fun. every innocent tweet is a potential pawn in the tedious tedious culture war or what's the other, what's the other before we go what's the other tweet that i shared a few weeks back again it does the rounds every few years you kind of every every day there's a there's a main character on twitter the game mm. is not to be it <laughs> that's pretty much it Um, on that note I've got nothing else to say so I will say goodbye and thanks for tuning in and uh, yeah we'll be back here the same time next week have a great weekend everybody bye bye We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com slash techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash tech meme zocdoc.com slash tech meme let's be real for a minute most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could the problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night but today's sponsor cuts has finally changed that cuts t-shirts are such high quality wrinkle free and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down yeah you heard that wrinkle free you never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again if you see me in a t-shirt it's likely one from cuts i'm also a huge fan of their ao5 
five pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at cutsclothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. Cutsclothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Next up, Emil Protolinsky is the former executive editor of VentureBeat, a publication we quote from on the show all the time. He's in the newsletter game now, and in aid of that, he does a Twitter space every week or so named after one of his newsletters, Big Tech News. For the spaces, he has a rotating guest host policy, and this week it was John Coetzeer. They got deeper than I did this week into the coming of Windows 11, Android 12 privacy changes, Amazon sidewalk rollout, and thoughts ahead of WWDC. Again, I'm going to give you a sample of the second half of Emil's most recent space, but if you want the whole thing and more episodes to come, go to Spacecast and subscribe and look for the big tech news episodes in that feed. I will say this. I don't know if you have an Oculus Quest or not. I own an Oculus Quest. I bought version one. I bought version two. I have it upstairs. I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's incredible. I think it's the first headset that has made VR really quite accessible uh, to people and fairly easy to use. I will say this. It still sits in its box way the heck more than it should Mm. because VR is a physically active thing to do right and so i need to shove some furniture around in my living room to have enough space to play some games or do some do certain things that i want to do and also after a full day of talking to people like you i'm dead tired and i want to just like zone or something like that so vr is pretty active and so it stays in the box more than it should i mean have you dabbled your toes into vr ar only a little bit uh, i have actually thought of getting a quest Two. i don't i don't own either either i don't own a headset right now i have thought yeah. of getting a quest Two, but only from the perspective of exercise uh yes. you know because i've heard it's good for that and you can you know if you're immersed you basically exercise for longer um <laughs> dude that is a good very good point i've i've i've, I've had a couple different apps that i've used for exercise including one where you attach a cycle and there's a thing there's a little sensor you attach to the pedal so it knows how fast you're going and you cycle around and i've burned hundreds of calories without even thinking yeah. of it um that's a pretty cool way of doing it and beat saber i mean i've had it i use an apple watch pretty religiously and i track my calories expended per day and it's got to hit a certain number and i've i've made up my budget of calories burned by playing Beat Saber at night, you know, for 20, 30 minutes and burning 150 calories or something like that. Yeah. So that's kind of the use case for VR right now. I mean, obviously there's, you know, porn and other games, but I feel like fitness is kind of the the use case for VR. Uh, But to be clear for the, you know, for the Apple headset, it's not just going to be VR. It's going to be, it's going to be mainly AR with some VR Parts, I believe. I mean, the rumors are, are all over the place for that, but uh, the long term, yes. Apple's clearly betting on AR, right? That's why they, they have phone AR 
and they're kind of hoping for that phone AR to be our transition. Yeah, I'm just interested. I'm watching the tra- live transcription on Twitter Spaces right here, and you said, you know, there's porn on VR. <laughs> it, it, started, it, it put four stars in there. Didn't actually put <laughs> the word there. So um, it, it translated what I just said as corn. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's trying. John is trying. <laughs> yes. First time it did asterisk. Second time it just threw in a different word. It can't blame it. It's doing the best it can, keeping this PG. <laughs> I want open source algorithms. <laughs> I don't object to you applying them, but I want to know what they do. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can talk, we can talk censorship. <laughs> um, there's, I feel like a censorship story every week. I mean, so that actually, I believe there was one this week. Um, we want to go all the way back to Facebook for a sec. Um, Instagram said that they would change their ang- algorithm to rank original and reposted content equally. Yes. Um, because of the suppression of pro-Palestinian voices. Um, yes. Now, I have no problem with supporting, you know, Palestinian voices, which are clearly being uh, silenced given what's happening in Israel. Uh, but the approach here kind of threw me off, right? This seems super counterintuitive. Like, if they're making original and reposted content equal, isn't that just going to cause a whole, like open a whole other set of can of worms for them in terms of disinformation, that, disinformation, fake news, you name it. <laughs> that is taking a very big hammer to a certain challenge. Yeah. yeah it's, it is an odd solution. Yeah. I, I was, I mean, but I, my reaction was just, Hey, fix the censorship problem, you know, figure out why your algorithm is censoring um, this group of people. Don't just, <laughs> you know, make all the content the same. That's, that's going to, Anyway, we'll see. Maybe that was yeah. maybe that's a temporary thing, and they'll revert it. Uh, but again, that yeah. also doesn't address the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool. Um, I've got to run pretty soon, uh, Emil. I don't know if you want to keep running or um, if you're going to end your call. Um, I think we can, we, we can end it here. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to go over this week? From this week, you know, I think. I think we hit everything. We think we hit everything. You know, we didn't, you know, here's one thing that we should really hit on a little bit. And nothing much happened this week, but Apple versus Epic. Sure. Um, that is a big, big deal. The case basically went to judgment, um, I guess, late last week. And we haven't yet heard what, and we don't know, I don't know when we're going to get a ruling on they that. Said, they said said not before August. I think they're aiming for, I think the judge said she's aiming for August, but no promises. Seriously. Holy cow. I mean, <laughs> justice delayed is justice um, re- re- rejected or whatever that phrase is. Well, so I that's, you know, time. I was actually shocked that this case is going to, you know, did go as quickly as, as it did. Right. Because I feel like the news that Epic is suing came out and then soon after the case was actually going on, which usually it's, it's more drawn out. Now, to be fair, there's going to it's going to be appealed. Right. Regardless of what the ruling is, both sides are going to whichever side is worse off is going to appeal and it's going to get appealed again. It's going to get appealed again. Um, I think what's interesting is whether Apple will make changes while the lawsuit is still ongoing, right? Because they already did a little bit, but certainly not enough. Um, you probably know the exact details better than I do, right? They, they cut their 30% cut to 15 for certain developers under whatever, I don't remember how much yes. revenue was. Under a million. Yeah, so they did that. Uh, but it clearly, you know, doesn't address the majority of the problems. 
Um, no, it doesn't. It is really interesting, right? Because you, you can see Apple's point. Hey, we made this and we made it available. If you choose to be on it, great. There you go. But when it becomes such a massive platform, I mean, imagine if you could only buy desktop software from Apple or from Microsoft, right? That is just not how the world has worked. So I think Apple's going to have to open it up to some degree. The reality is, look, they're very scared to do this, but the reality is, look, if you have a guaranteed safe way of doing things and it's the easy way and it's the obvious way, and guess what? It's the default way. 95% of people are probably going to still keep doing that. And most of your revenue that you're getting already by being the gatekeeper to the app store, um, you're probably going to keep. But it's just a bad look to, you know, nail that down so tight that there's really, you know, no way for somebody to come and say, hey, here's a platform. I can innovate on top of it. And it's that kind of anti the history of computing, if you look at it. I totally understand the safety argument. I totally understand the it just works argument. I totally understand one company that you really trust holding your credit card data and not 15,000 different little app companies fly by night, you know, who knows where they are, who knows who their founders are. I totally get all that stuff, but they just can't keep it the way that it uh, has been for forever. Yeah, I mean... Uh, many people have said that it's too late now to make changes. They have to just wait for the rulings. But but I disagree. They have plenty of time to win over developers. And actually, we'll be curious. I suspect they won't talk about this at WWDC, right, because it's controversial, so they'll stay away from it. Um, but, I mean, that would be a smart, savvy move on their part, right, if they announced, hey, you know, we heard you. Here's, I don't know what change they would want to start with, but they could, they could yeah. certainly use WWDC. Here's one. Here's one. I mean, I just noticed that Rinky Sethi has joined. Hey, Rinky, how's it going? She's a CISO at Twitter. Well, Twitter just released a variety of things where you can do a subscription, right? Um, uh, Twitter Blue, right? That's in Canada. I'm in Canada. I can try Twitter Blue if I Have want. You? But also, also paid spaces and stuff like that is coming, right? So, but if you do that, um, you know, there was a, I forget the exact breakdown, but let's say you got $3 and Apple got its cut and Twitter got its cut and then you got a cut, right? And it's just like, <laughs> it's really challenging because Apple got, get, gets its cut. So there's not much left over for Twitter or for the actual person uh, who, who is releasing the product that somebody wants to buy. Um, so, yeah, there are some challenges there. So, so you, you're suggesting, so actually I have the, I, I uh, tweeted this out. If um, someone holds a, a, t- a ticketed space, which hasn't been released yet, I don't believe, but you can charge for spaces, and you charge $10 per ticket, Apple or Google get $3 out of that 10 Twitter gets $1.40, and the host is left with $5.60. So Apple yeah. Google are getting more uh, because Twitter is taking its 20% cut after Apple and Google's 30% app store taxes. Which you gotta argue is unfair to Twitter, right? I mean, um, and so there, there needs to be better ways of dealing with these things. Um, and I'm sure we'll get there, but I'm sure it'll also be painful. So do you think they'll actually announce something like that at WDC? They'll, they'll say, hey, we're, uh, we're changing the cut for, I don't know, some portion of the apps in some way. I don't expect that at WWDC. I yeah, hope it'd be nice to be proven wrong. Yeah, I, I think so. I think they won't touch it, but they, I think, I mean, yeah, I'm on the fence. I feel like they won't do anything, but I think it would be smart for them to do something to throw developers a bone. You know, like, listen, we've heard your criticism because this is this is the most I've seen developers um, criticize Apple. Uh, they're they're not scared anymore, 
right? I think Marco yeah. Armand did a blistering take, I believe it was this week, where he just, yes, he yeah, did. so that's, you know, and that, that type of thing would happen every once in a while, but now it's, it's consistent. It's common. It's very consistent. It's yeah. funny. I'm right at Marco.org, you know, June 3, he released it, and he says, Apple's leaders continue to deny developers of two obvious truths. One, that our apps provide substantial value to iOS beyond the purchase commissions collected by Apple, and two, that any portion of our customers come to our apps from our own marketing reputation rather than the App Store. And he says, for Apple to continue to deny these is dishonest, factually wrong, and extremely insulting. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a blistering attack. Yeah, that's, that's not, <laughs> you would not, like... In a typical, if anyone ever criticized Apple, it used to be the case, right? If they criticized Apple, there would be a whole slew of blog posts defending them. And now it's like the opposite, right? And just consistently so. Um, yes, but Apple's not the underdog anymore. When you when you become the empire, then everybody's... Sure, but I, w- I would argue even even when they were the empire, they were very much defended, right? They were very much like, no, no, this is, this is you know, we love this company. Um, and it's almost yeah, like people- the people who were unhappy just kept quiet because they were scared and now thanks frankly thanks to epic they're no longer scared anymore um of getting punished because they know that you know if they get punished it'll just become part of the the news cycle i guess i guess yeah, news cycle. yeah 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 you're right okay um i don't know if there's anyone in the audience that has questions a few people requested um uh, but those requests disappear because that's how Twitter Spaces works. Um, I'm not seeing any any right now, um, so we can certainly end it here. Uh, let me think. What else? I mean, have a great weekend, everyone. Actually, John, is there anything you want to plug before we finish? No, everybody knows where they can find me, and um, I'm just super happy. This has been a lot of fun, Emil. Uh, it's been a long time since we've chatted. You're a super smart person, and you've got a really interesting perspective. You come more from the Windows side of the world. I come more from the Mac side <laughs> of the world, so it's really cool. Um, you know, uh, sometimes the two meet in the middle. Awesome. Okay, so you can find John on Twitter. Let's do that, at John Fitzier. <laughs> uh, you can find myself also on Twitter, at EPRO. Um, and everything from there, you know, our newsletters, our links are on all there. I'm changing my handle to J pro or something <laughs> like that. Something that people can spell and say, <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's a long story behind that handle, but yes, I, that's exactly why I changed it. <laughs> Just make it shorter. <laughs> all right. Uh, I don't see any requests, so no, no questions here. Uh, so perfect. We ended before the hour. Have a great weekend, everyone. And yeah, just a reminder. Um, this will be on Spacecast, so I'll tweet out a link um, and subscribe on all your favorite. Oh, we got a request last minute from a Robert. Let's see what Chill Rob wants to contribute right at the end. <laughs> hey, Chill Rob. Can you hear us? Apparently not. He's unmuted, so. Wow. Well, it's time for somebody to knock on something and say, does this thing work? <laughs> well, we can't hear you, unfortunately, uh, Rob. But uh, but we hear you. But, but we hear you. We value your voice. <laughs> we just right. can't Can I hear get it you. Oh, uh, there we go. There we go. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> did you say anything about Windows 11 today that I would like? Uh, I, I just joined. We, we, we did. Uh, I am convinced. That I'm savagely distant. <laughs> I am convinced it's being announced on June 24th. 
Um, what it is exactly is not 100% clear, but I believe that they are going to, if you, I don't know, if you follow Windows, there's a refresh for Windows 10, like a redesign in, in process. So I think that's the same thing, essentially. Um, there's a bunch of store improvements that they're going to make, which actually was very much related to the conversation we had um, with Apple and you know Epic and that App Store tax war that's happening. So I think they're going to roll all that together, uh, brand it Windows 11, and announce it on the 24th, but probably not make it available right away. And I suspect they'll start pushing people from Windows 10 to Windows 11 slowly because, you know, all the enterprises that they have to bring over. That's cool. I like it. Thank you very much. No problem. Okay. Uh, Rock and roll. That's it. It's been a great day. Have a good weekend, everyone. And uh, thanks for joining. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Last in our sampler, but certainly not least... 
this podcast's favorite guide into the world of crypto. Brady Dale does regular Twitter spaces, which he calls Lightbulb Talks. This week, he spoke with crypto influencer Lumi, discussing his viewpoint of crypto markets as a game and how it's been transformational for him and why he believes it is still extremely early for crypto. Again, this is the second half of the most recent episode. For more what are you waiting for? Go subscribe to SpaceCasts. Can you remember what your moment was when crypto kicked in? You know, you were curious, you were curious, and then you were like, okay, no, I, I buy it now. Do you, can you remember like what, what it was then? Yeah, man, I'm not sure that I can. I, I remember the struggle, though. I remember trying to resist crypto and to not kind of cross what whatever that line is, wherever it was. At the time, you know, when I was getting into crypto, I was working in nursing full-time. I was a full-time student. Oh, you were a nurse? Um, uh, a nurse's assistant, yeah. Bottom that's, of the that's interesting. Cool. But, uh, yeah, right. I was working in nursing. I was in school for nursing. And I was also, you know, at the start of my 30s here and kind of like kind of playing catch up. Like I didn't, you know, run fresh out of high school and take care of my whole career, et cetera. So I was taking care of some really important things here. And I tried so hard to resist crypto because I needed to, you know, just get some things done here uh, and have that career, et cetera, like taken care of, you know, for that part of my life. And the last thing I wanted to do was sort of like get distracted right um and unfortunately uh you know crypto was just out there and it caught my eye um and i couldn't i couldn't look away uh from it and you know originally it was brought up to me my idea of crypto it wasn't it wasn't super super appealing and i didn't have the light switch moment like right away like uh i think somebody a doge maximalist who i worked with in nursing uh brought it up to me and you know he was trying to get me to get doge and i actually i, I felt like okay i kind of understand doge like it doesn't have to you know make sense it's a it's a meme it could do some stuff and i was looking at cheap coins like xlm and xrp and i was reading about these use cases and thinking okay it moves faster this money is faster and like you know kind of just trying to understand like what's the what's the point of like any of this stuff, right? Like what is it, what's actually going on on here? And like, why are there thousands of cryptocurrencies? Uh, like what do they, what do they all do? That's so different. Um, so it took a while for me to like, um, really trip over that switch. Uh, but I think maybe if there was a moment, uh, that I really got kind of ignited, uh, and sent forever down this path into crypto, it was probably, and hopefully I've got this right in my memory here. I think it was really early 2019, uh, maybe, maybe like first quarter of 2019. I think Bitcoin was around the 3000s, 4000s or something. Mm -hmm. And some Chad at the time uh, just shoved in like a huge amount and ultimately ignited sort of what's like been a bull run ever since, if you will, um, and sent Bitcoin like jumping uh, from like three to 4K uh, or three to 5K like very quickly. Um, and this was kind of like, that was kind of like the end of the 2018 bull run, in my opinion. I mean, at least in terms of the charts, that certainly was it. And for me, as somebody who was kind of like uh, being introduced to cryptocurrencies, but I was coming in like during this crypto winter at the very end of it, I still had this very general sense of like, all right, you know, crypto, it's out here. But like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, it's kind of esoteric stuff. And then for me, uh, I think when Bitcoin jumped like that and kind of awakened and that bear run really ended just in from like the three to five K price action range. Um, for me, that was kind of like the heartbeat of crypto. And that was kind of like, uh, I think for me in my mind, I, it was like an awareness of like, 
it's alive, you know? And uh, I was like, all right, screw it. We're doing it. Let's go to crypto. <laughs> I, um, yeah, the 3000 number is funny on Bitcoin. You know, I had a, I had a bit of a personal experience with that number. Um, I, uh, very occasionally, very, very occasionally, not uh, probably like four times. Um, I used to get invited on to cheddar, you know, the sort of millennial TV station, um, to talk about crypto things I'd write about. They'd invite me to come in and, you know, explain, explain it. And one day I came on and talked about, I have no idea what, um, and tone vase was after me. I don't know if you know tone. Um, he's, he's kind of a Bitcoin OG. It's sort of a trader. OG. Yeah, he's, yeah. Done, he's done really well. Yeah. And, um, tone was right after me and I had met tone, I, you know, early on before he kind of became a, a sort of a big deal. And, um, and he, he spoke next and, you know, that was when kind of the, I think, I think when that happened is, you know, uh, definitely the big numbers of late 2017 were coming off and we were deep in crypto winter and, uh, and it was still falling though. It hadn't hit 3000 and they were like, and I remember Cheddar, Cheddar, the Cheddar folks were like, you know, what's going to happen? Is it going to recover? You know, what do you see happening? And tone was very clear. He was like, it's going to hit 3000. Um, like that is where it's going to go. And then it'll recover and it's all going to be fine over time. But there's a lot more bleeding ahead. And I, I just, it really struck me that he said that I was just like, it, it was, I remember, I don't remember what the number was at the time, but it was a lot lower. I mean, that was going much further down is one. And two, it was just like, that was such a specific number. And I just, it just stayed with me. And I don't remember what the lowest it got then was, but it got close enough to that, that like he was right. <laughs> and um, it was yeah. just like crazy. It was like, how did he know that? You know, um, which I still don't know the answer to that question, but it was a really interesting thing <laughs> for me to see. Some of these OGs have uh, like a spider sense that is just, it's beyond anything I can come up with uh, within myself and my own so-called expertise. <laughs> well, we're all supercomputers, right? I mean, that's my, that is, that is a little bit kind of my thesis. If we can just figure out how to access it, right. There's things we can take in and know, but we don't know how we know we don't want to get in our own ways on knowing them, you know, a hundred percent. So, uh, we're, we're definitely computers. Sarah killed her request to come up and speak, but I, and I've re-invited her. But uh, if anyone else wants to come and join us, I do have a couple more sort of moments in which I've crossed paths with Lumi that I want to ask him about. But, you know, we're at a point where it'd be fine for folks to come in and talk about other things. So um, if folks do, you just uh, go to that. I think it's that little three-dot thing and request to speak. Oh, no, you actually, when you're – no, no, you can just um, – you can just hit the, the microphone button. The button? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and Lumi, you should know, actually, I don't know if this is something you want to mess with. I forgot this time. I usually get a few of these ready to go, but I, I forgot. Um, you can share tweets if you want that everyone will see up at the top uh, because you're a speaker. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's a, if there's things you want to, that are you want to illuminate to the folks here, that's a thing you can do. And I encourage you to do it. Um, anyone else who becomes a speaker can also do that. Um, so if anyone wants to join us, let us know. Um, okay. So let's, um, suppose, let me, I'm going to ramble here for a second. So if you want to look for tweets, you can, <laughs> um, the next time you and I kind of cross paths, we, we've never met, but I, I don't think we have, but, um, but we, <laughs> we, we cross paths on the internet and talked some was when BitClout happened a little while back. And yeah. I was kind of surly about BitClout because I didn't want to write about it. Uh, and my editors really wanted me to write <laughs> about it. And you were surly about it for other reasons. We'll get into that in a second. But the thing that I, I, I'm interested in you 
sort of exploring this with me a little bit. I, I'm not entirely clear on why I was surly about BitCloud or even why I still am surly about BitCloud. <laughs> I don't think it was this, yeah. quite the same reasons as you, but I think it was close. I think maybe it's related. But there was just something about it that, like, it felt a little icky to me, you know? I think maybe it was the fact sure. that they made accounts for a bunch of people. And actually, I went and looked at my BitCloud profile recently, and I don't know what's up with this. But it says on my BitCloud pro- – because I, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a Twitter giant, but I'm big enough within crypto Twitter that they made me an account. And mm-hmm. um, so I have free BitCloud tokens that I can claim in there. And I went and looked at mine the other day on a whim because I just wasn't doing work. And uh, – Saw they gone up a price a little bit, you know, if I claim my tokens to be worth X amount. But then I was like, but it said that like this user has claimed some of their tokens. And I was like, no, I haven't. I, d- I did at one point, but I never connected <laughs> the accounts. I did send it some Bitcoin to try to like get some things to futz around a little bit mm-hmm. in there, but I didn't send enough when I did it. I screwed it up somehow. And I was like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> so I didn't even get to the point where I ever like linked anything up. So, um, so that felt weird to me. I was just like, well, either I got hacked or they're just telling people that I've accessed it to make it look more credible. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which one it is. Um, but so, yeah, there was something that bothered me about it that I can't. I also just don't. I just don't think crypto is ready to make a social media network. I think that I just always get annoyed by that a little bit. But <laughs> um, I don't know. What's what's I know you didn't like it. So what was your thing on it? Sure. Um, to start, I'll probably. Uh X2. I, I think if I'm understanding you right, I don't really believe that we're at an intersection where it's time for uh, whatever this uh, vague fusion of uh, you know blockchain technology and social media is that we sort of sometimes act like we really want as a space, uh, and sort of most of the time, always never are actually building or getting together and having like productive conversations about, okay, well, how do, you know, how does this actually work and how do we overcome, you know, certain problems that are intrinsic to such a goal as that, you know? Um, but, um, when I, when I first came across BitCloud myself, uh, I think what offended me most about it was just something, uh, to me, I thought, uh, okay, so this is a game, right? And this is a money game. And this is a money game that some people want to play with other people, but not necessarily with other people uh, in terms of like, uh, so they kind of uh, automatically populated all these profiles on their new social media website using, I just sort of copy pasting people's existing profiles off of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't really, you know, of course, like ask anybody about that, um, which like for me personally would kind of be like, all right, well, it's that, that raises a question mark. And, and maybe it's really nice that like, just as soon as I hear about it and I'm kind of wondering about it in the next breath, you're like, but here's like $40,000. And then I'm like, all right, all right. It's cool that you did that. I think that that's how it goes over with like, you know, most people, but there, there is something under there uh, for some people prior to the $40,000 before and after that, that definitely uh, wrinkles their nose a bit. And I just, I think ultimately the thing that bothered me the most about the, the whole de- design of BitCloud, I think it's ultimately, it's not very different than things we've seen like with Augur so far in terms of just, it being like a betting market. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's like a, almost like a more narrow auger, right? Where the only thing we're betting on is it's really just the popularity of these people who mm-hmm. have been sort of involuntarily imported into the system, which then you kind of chain the fact that they, some of these people didn't even like volunteer to be a part of the system. And now you've got all these other people on the planet who you are incentivizing to uh, 
potentially uh, like uh, malign the reputation of somebody who's on this platform, right? And then open up a short position and say, all right, you know, I like I knew this guy was going to tank because I was filing the lawsuit against him today. Or, you know, I put a bum under his car today. Or, uh, you know, maybe e- even worse things, you know, like uh, someone might genuinely harm somebody in one way or another because for them within this sort of project uh, that the cloud is like i mean that's that's just that's making money mm-hmm. you know so for me the way that incentives were kind of aligned or how humans were predisposed towards one another within this thing was very dystopian in a way that i don't like um i'm not sure there are any dystopian things i really do like but it, it definitely reminded a lot of people of uh, a particular black mirror episode um where we all get kind of social scores and you can be canceled if you don't ultimately conform to whatever is a sort of one size fits all of uh, whatever is the truth or what's popular in society, et cetera, type of thing. So, you know, it, it had all those vibes and I think it shook up everybody in the space. It was a really polarizing event because they, you know, their, their whole approach to marketing was um, getting all of these influencers in the space uh, to potentially wade in and use their own clout to validate and promote the project, et cetera. And so it just, uh, it, you, it was hard to not have an opinion about BitClout, right? Because it was just such a noisy thing that everybody uh, sort of knew that it was going on in the space. Like whatever your opinion was or whatever distance you were from it, like I think people heard about BitClout. Like that kind of was an event that took place in our space, right? But then kind of also equally weirdly is that just as quickly as that was this huge, like outrageously polarizing uh, event within our space, it sort of mostly only died down in terms of noise uh, since its inception and the initial um, you know, problems that it that stirred or attention that it got. And I don't know like what that means or where they're going. If it's, uh, I mean, because as far as I understand, I want to say like the market cap for BitCloud was like something over like a billion dollars. So even though things have like really died down and we're quiet and really nobody cares like one way or the other, it's sort of like, all right, BitCloud, whatever. That was earlier in the year. Um, I feel like we haven't heard the last of BitCloud. So oh, yeah. you, no way. No you way, asked yeah. me and it's like, every nobody wants to talk about it right now. We all got out of our systems. Uh, but like that, there's a lot of money still on top of that table. Uh, and there's been all kinds of interesting things we've seen. Uh, I'm a huge fan of James Prestwich's content and coverage of uh, BitCloud. Meanwhile, the last some months, kind of uh, just really like picking into looking behind the scenes or lifting up the uh, the rug in the corner uh, on that project and trying to you know help people in the space to see kind of what's really going on there, whether it is really decentralized, whether it's not. Um, even like noticing like infrastructure pointing to where they, for example, might exit. It's Binance. It's, <laughs> um, it's like particulars in there. So um, yeah, that was a really interesting thing that happened to our space. Uh, it's caused a lot of reflection within me because that was polarizing kind of for, for me and with some of my own relationships within the space and kind of wondering like, you know, and having that kind of change the way I look at some people and then changing their, their reputation on file for me, so to speak. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it, was, um, uh, it was quite the thing. And I'm just waiting for part two, I guess. I, I feel like I've been a little bit of a bad uh, journalist here. And I sort of didn't define what it was ahead of time. because There's a decent chance people will listen, not know what we're talking about. But we sort of we've sort of said it. But BitCloud is this sort of crypto native um social network, but whose big innovation is that it creates a token to represent each profile. Um, the person whose profile is created can, can buy the token and they'll get the best price 
for the token early on when they buy it, but then other people can buy it too. And the idea is if you have a bright future, you can buy your own token early and, uh, and then it'll dr- go up a lot in value and then you can trade on your own value in the world. Um, and some of us, you know, they said it was the biggest people on on Twitter. That isn't true. It's the biggest people on crypto Twitter right. um, got sort of accounts made for us ahead of time. So we had some free tokens that we could take if we joined. Um, you know, I was one of those. I haven't taken mine. Um, but so, so just so anyone who didn't know what it was, that's what it was. I think you're 100% right that like this BitCloud story isn't over. Um, yeah. And for oh, man, for a second there, I really had a handle on, I think, what made me sort of a little bit icked out by it, but I lost it. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anything you said was wrong. Oh, well, but, but I will say just so you know, I mean, just some flat, I some flattery for you or whatever. But when I wrote the big, long bit clown story that I was, you know, made to write, um, I will say my editor who edited that, you know, really felt like your point that like this thing creates an incentive to look for ways to cancel people you know, he moved that way up from wherever I had it in the post. He was like, this nails yeah. the concern, you know? So he like, he elevated that really high. So, you know, you know, go you. I, I think that was, that awesome. was a correct move on his part too. <laughs> um, so I, I don't disagree with that edit. Um, so uh, yeah. So, and I, I think, yeah, I think there's still more to come. Oh, I do, I do know one thing I do want to say about crypto, about BitCloud. And then let's do hmm. one more ask if anyone wants to come up. And then if not, you know, we can maybe wrap it up. But uh, I'm happy to talk some more. But if you have things you want to talk about, that's cool. Um, but I think one thing I do want to say about BitCloud, which I do think is really important, and I hope the people who are listening, like, hear me on this, is one thing that did really bother me about the discourse about BitCloud, and this is a complaint I frequently have, is a lot of people who didn't like BitCloud called it a scam. And I don't think that's right. Uh, yeah. And I think people often use scam when they shouldn't use scam. Like a scam is a time in which people do something disingenuous to take something from people. And I, I don't think that's right. I mean, I think there is a level on which BitCloud knew it had powerful backers and that they could kind of generate value in an accelerated fashion that would make them all rich. So you could kind of say that's a scam, but it's not like really a scam, you know, like, I don't think they were, I don't think there was ever a rug pull that was on the table there. You know, when you look at the folks who were involved and it it just, you know, you can have concerns about it. You can be annoyed about it. You can hate it. You can not like its optics, but like, I just think we've really diluted this concept of a scam in crypto, which sucks because there's so many things that are actually scams. We can just like (laughs) critique, things sort of appropriately and not make our critiques worthless. So I, that was a little bit of a frustration I had in, within the context of that thing. No, it's it's true. Um, and I think uh, when BitCloud first emerged, like the whole space was really heavy on that. And basically, like day one, day two, the first few days of BitCloud was basically just this space-wide conversation of like, BitCloud, scam? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of gray and there just there weren't really other takes really, and there wasn't a lot of other language either. Um, so it was good, and I found like personally uh, through interacting with you uh, and um, just sort of observing uh, that the journalists are the ones who really did the best job to kind of push back some on that on that language, uh, the rhetoric of it, and kind of ask like, okay, what. I see that things look a little sketchy here. Like, is it really a scam? Um, and I think that was integral for the space to kind of really 
uh, kind of ask that question to themselves, right? Like, it, okay, well, this is a, sort of a sketchy thing. I see some things I don't like, but like, is it a scam, right? And I feel like we kind of, BitCloud was almost like a lesson for the space on, on this topic of like, but is it a scam though, right? Because everyone is kind of like, okay, I get it. I see that, right? You know, whatever. But, um, and the answer to that question was, uh, we used to care a lot about that, right? I think now everyone's kind of like over it and we're waiting on you know the next chapter in the story with BitCloud. But for weeks, uh, even you know a month or two there, uh, that was a really hot topic in the space. And people really cared about the answer to that question of like, is this a scam though? And if not, like what what would or, or would not make it a scam? Or, or maybe more importantly underneath that question, I think is, you know, we're kind of arguing like, is something moral or immoral happening here, right? Like, are we being, you know, are we going to get rugged by all these VCs or, or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of the answer to that question is still sort of out there, right? Like, we, <laughs> like I, I don't think anyone's going to get, like, rugged or anything, like, scammy is, is you know, going to happen. But how this how this all winds down is, is definitely still something that's still unfolding, right? Now, personally, I'm sort of, like, bearish on the project and the idea of the network and the, the whole thing itself, right? Like, ethics and, and complaints like that, totally aside, right? Like, it just as a, we'll say, like, as an investor, right? Like, looking at the project and seeing, like, where it's at now and how it's evolved, like, I don't know. I don't really see it taking off. Um, if, yeah. it, if it does, if that was going to happen, like, they would have to still undergo some sort of like really huge paradigm shift and watershed moment of like growth hacking that they haven't achieved so far. So, and we'll I don't, see. I don't um, think, um, I don't think you can take your Bitcoin. I don't, I don't think you can claim your winnings yet. Like there's people who've done really well in terms of like trading within the system, but I, I don't think you can take it out yet. I, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I haven't double checked that. So folks, if I'm wrong, but, um, okay. So, uh, we do have one person who has joined the speaker's queue. So man in black, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is a great talk so far. Um, well, two-part question for Lumi here. Um, first, tying it back to the beginning of the conversation, talking about games. I know this is slightly not what money is a game is about, but you know what got me into crypto back in 2017. My, my first big investment was Engine. I really bought into the owning your in-game assets and being able to profit off of them. And I think you know, it obviously, given where we are just technologically and every, you know, ad- adoption wise, it's taken a little while to get off the ground, but they do have major integrations with World of Warcraft and, and other games. I mean, I guess, Lumi, how far do you see, like, how far away do you think we are from actually being able to do that? You know, if you have a sword in, in, in World of Warcraft, being able to either easily sell it or use it to pay for something or stake it or to bring in meme in this scenario. I mean, they are NFTs at the end of the day. Like when are yeah. we going to be able to, to, to farm these things? Can you use them as collateral in a, a compound sensor? Um, that would be part one. And then just part two, more open-ended. What are you most uh, looking forward to or excited about that you think will be the next big DeFi um, um theme you know we, we we saw lending borrowing and and kind of the, the standard financial uh instruments take off first but what are you most excited looking forward to uh in DeFi coming up that you see in this kind of game sense and being able to really play around with and maximize yield and and uh yeah open-ended looking looking for your thoughts here yeah i appreciate the questions um on the NFT one at first for kind of NFTs and gaming and if or when we'll see that and kind of at scale. Um, I do think about that a lot. 
Um, it's something that I, I guess, uh, as a lifetime gamer, like really, really want to come about. And even just a few days ago, I was talking to some old buddies who I used to play Diablo three with like years ago. Now I was saying, boys, like get ready. One day there's going to be a Diablo four. And if we're really lucky, like maybe the items will even be NFTs. Right. So personally, I really like really, really want that. And I really want it to happen in real time so that games like a Diablo or say like a world of Warcraft where you're playing in real time and items are dropping in real time. Like I really want, in my fantasy world, which maybe doesn't really make sense uh, technically and logistically here, in my fantasy world, um, we all play these games and they're all on layer twos for Ethereum. And because of that, you can have things maybe drop, if not instantly, closer to instantly. I think there's a lot of... Um, I'm Personally, I'm kind of sitting back and waiting to see how some of these giants actually approach... Uh, exactly this task um are they all going to homebrew their own uh kind of layer two sandbox which is their own little you know arbitrary thing that their whole game subsists within and because it subsists within that then this is how you unlock you know real-time uh you know item drops etc and then maybe you resolve the friction of you know confirmations on the blockchain and, and things like that um at some other stage like when you're doing like account management or maybe there's a you know you want to separately interact with the marketplace and you've got to wait until your items have fully resolved before you can you know trade them and do things like that with them so with gaming and nfts um i think what people most often overlook like it's, it's definitely like that's the direction to be excited for um but logistically and technically some of the things that really slow that down um I, I mean, you can take some of the, the particular things that I just said and then just kind of stack on top of that, um, like what we already know about what generalized NFT adoption faces in terms of challenges right now. So like being on top of a uh, layer one Ethereum right now, as they all are, and the fees that come with that, that's like, that's a big problem. So it's like, uh, you kind of have to look at it from the other direction of like, okay, so we're, we're minting these NFTs. Well, are they... You know, is, is Blizzard going to mint a new NFT like every time an item drops, and then, well, then they're going to like pay to mint that and pay the gas fee, etc.? So let you me have to have a layer two. Yeah, let me jump in on this one because I have strong opinions about this, even though I'm not a gamer. But I'm I let's like mark this down. I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. Um, this is a this is a thing. I, and then I have a second thought about it that is just sort of amusing. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing that I believe is true. I, I will I firmly believe this is that like. Uh, this will happen and it'll be really cool when it does. Um, but, um, I don't think any of the big shops are going to do it except for maybe Ubisoft, but they're not going to actually do it because it's just, it's just not in their business model. And the, what the problem with crypto on this topic is, is they get very excited about this idea of owning and trading and they are failing. Even though many of them are gamers, they're thinking crypto. They're not thinking gamers. Fundamentally, it's only going to click when it's done with a great game that people genuinely want to play, whether it has the NFTs or not. And so what I think will happen eventually, and I kind of don't understand why it hasn't already is we have, you know, tons of people who've made piles of money. Many of them are great gamers. Someone needs to spin up a new AAA studio, which obviously you can't do overnight, even with piles of money, but with piles of money, you can eventually get there. But an extremely large amount of talent needs to be put into a room. A lot of money needs to be spent and a great idea needs to be put in the table and a fantastic game needs to be built. And at the end of building that game, 
throw the NFT mechanics on it. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's got to be a new company. It's got to come from crypto, but it's got to be game oriented first. Like those are all things that I believe. The other thing that I'll just say really quickly here that I love about what's happened with NFTs this year, it just reflects what I love about technology is a lot of smart people, most notably Ariana Simpson, who I think is great. And I'm not saying this is a critique of her at all. I think she'd probably agree that this is funny and interesting, but Ariana, who was an investor herself, she's now at A16Z, you know, she really beat this drum for a long time that she was a believer in NFTs because they were so obviously valuable to gaming. And that's what I love about technology in general is it always, it just never works out the way that makes sense. And that's part of why I love being a journalist covering technology is that like, you know, who would have thought that when NFTs kicked in finally, it would be like weird art that would do it, you know? And, And that's like what it was. Like Ariana's right games make more sense but that wasn't what did it it was weird art and i love that anyway sorry um i don't know if you want to go more on that let me i definitely want to get to the second question too but i wanted to hop in on that first one no i like that too i'm glad you pointed that out um the what was the second question from man on black Hair? what so are you the, jazzed about in DeFi? Thing? yeah and which is kind of yeah. what i wanted to go with too is just sort of like what are you i, I was gonna ask that question as well so i'm glad he did it like what, what are what are you feeling good about in the space right now? Yeah, so right now, uh, we're like, in my mind, we're still totally like knee-deep in the bull run here. Like, we're, we're correcting, but no, nothing in the, the overarching story has really changed here at all for me. We're just down for the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, we're we're in this... Um, we're in this huge, like, intense bull run, and it's been like... Like, what have I experienced in crypto or crypto Twitter so far in 2021? It's it's basically like, it's almost like just bull run sentiment and feels and stuff, right? Like, it's it's noticeably harder for me to get on my feed and uh, kind of feel the pulse of, say, for example, just like building, like quiet heads down building or um, like, and then seeing that coming about through like big project updates and developments, et cetera. Like, for me, I feel like it's not, it's not biddle season if you will like it's definitely bull run season and i mean you know this time around it's dog coins i guess the so last summer it was like uh food farms and right now we're into dog coins right so it's <laughs> that's what's going on and for me that kind of uh it's, it's actually a frustrating thing because i'll notice like you know days and days will start to drag on i'm kind of like of course i'm on crypto twitter all the time and i'm like man i'm just not getting the same uh like educational yield out of my twitter feed as as i normally am and it's because we're in this like euphoric and distracted state um which really makes it hard for me to kind of answer this question because every day i wake up and what i want to do is i want to throw myself at crypto and i just want to stay in touch with like okay but what's new and what's next and what's coming and so that's that's like constantly my goal um, and I'm faced with this question right now, and I feel like you know my, my first inclination is to just speak to some of the struggle I've felt so far a year as an independent researcher trying to uh, be constantly in touch with what's going on in the space, but having the space itself just overwhelmed with uh, the noise of bullying and absolute like, nonsense. It's like, it's like we're at like Mardi Gras right? and like you wake up and like, you're still at Mardi Gras. Like the streets are still filled with like beads and Shiba Akita dog coins. Right. And you're just like, Hey, if you're me anyway, you're just sort of like, man, I wish that all this would sort of go away. <laughs> I can have like a better idea of like what we're actually making right now. Not that like some of that stuff can't be fun. Um, but yeah, so for me, I feel like 
kind of want to say that I'm not 100% sure of like what the next big thing is. Like sometimes I have like explicit definite ideas of that, but right now I feel I don't have anything really concrete on deck for like what's, you know, sort of the next big thing and I think you know this this has all been my big excuse for that. Um, of course, I'll I'll plug that you know Flexa did just release the Spend SDK, so we literally did finally just turn in a corner where now within DeFi, any wallet or any app has the ability to uh, integrate the SDK, which gives all of their users the ability to spend their assets. Now, something about spending is, and I think forever will be, uh, you know, the the opposite, <laughs> the antithesis of making money, right? And so it's hard to just imagine saying something like, I think like spending is the next thing, you know, like we've, we've done a bunch of lending, lending is clearly hot. It's clearly going to be hot. I don't know that spending itself as a thing in a comparable sense is going to be hot because it's, it's probably, it's not going to stir those ideas in people's minds where they're like, yeah, spending this is the latest way within crypto in which I make money. And therefore it's the hot thing within crypto, right? Like spending is like super vital, it, it's i don't like, know man a bunch of like you can't spend it is it money yeah a bunch <laughs> of if like a bunch of uh you know like degen teenagers start showing up at, at their school with like the sweetest possible kicks you know uh because they were able to like <laughs> spend the cash register i i think that could start to get people interested oh this has been a this has been a great conversation for folks who are listening uh just want to say this will be rebat broadcast on Spacecast. If you want to listen to it again, that's cool. There's a lot of other cool stuff on Spacecast, uh, conversations about design, new tech, social media, things like that. So you should look for it in your podcast player and subscribe. And then also, if you miss future fantastic light bulb talks with me, you can hear them there. So that will make your life uh, better. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Thanks a ton for Lumi to talking to me. And uh, good night, supercomputers. And there you go. See, lots of good content over on Spacecast. It's like tech talk radio that you can keep on in the background all week to keep yourself inspired and informed. If you haven't subscribed to Spacecast yet, what are you waiting for? However you are listening to me right now, search for Spacecast in that device, all one word, Spacecast, and subscribe. Talk to you on Monday for WWDC. 